0: Hey everyone, we're back with Find Your Film. This is not your weekly movie recommendation episode. It's a different episode every couple of weeks. We do a director spotlight and we do a rotating sort of round table situation. This week it is Bruce Perky's turn and his choice Bruce, can you tell our listeners what your choice was and why he dis- why you decided on this person? Well,
1: I chose the great and wonderful Joe Dante, partly because I thought, you know, we're right around the Halloween season. He's done a lot of different genre stuff. I also thought that he's done a lot of, you know, artistic and, you know, obscure stuff. But Joe Dante is underappreciated, in my opinion. And he's just tons of fun. And there is so much movie love in his movies to dig into along with just enjoying the movies. And on top of that, because Greg yourself had never seen gremlins. We thought, well, what a better way to get you to watch gremlins and finally jump on the train
0: with us. So that's why (laughs) before we, before we get to Eric Holmes listeners, I just want to tell you how much of an idiot I was. I've actually interviewed Joe Dante maybe seven, eight months ago and at the time, I, I decided to go see The Burbs, which I ended up really liking. During the interview, I told him how much I love The Burbs. And he was surprised during the interview how, how I hadn't seen The Burbs at that time. And I didn't want to ruin this, that, the interview by telling him I had never seen Gremlins. So finally, that, that, I, find, I finally seen Gremlins. So that's me being an idiot now. This actually, this week, it's Bruce Perky. I do not doubt your love for Joe Dante. Bruce Perky. The thing is, Eric Holmes, you have a really interesting distinction. How much? How long have you loved Joe Dante? How many years? I, I mean, was he was he always been one of your favorite filmmakers?
2: Kind kind of like when we were talking about Aaron Sorkin and David Mamet. I didn't know Joe Dante right away. I just knew that Gremlins came out. And we got the, uh, they had the little record, the storybook records. I think there was five of them. And I got those and I went through those. I'm like, oh, this this is creeping me up. but I love it so much. But we didn't go to the theater a lot, you know, because they're, you know, with my parents and those five kids, you know, that's kind of hard. That's a a pretty large hall to bring (laughs) us to the theaters. And I think at the time there was like a lot of, a lot of, you know, Parents like how? How could you? You know, this isn't a kids' movie. I brought my kid to it and it scared the crap out of him. And to be honest, when I first saw it, it, scared the crap out of me too. But I had so much pre hype of this movie. I knew the whole story because I did the story books. I read everything I could about Gremlins. I wanted to see it so bad. And I think, and to the point where I don't even remember the first time seeing it. It was probably on HBO or something. And I just fell in love with it. And it wasn't until years and years and years, probably decades later, that I even knew who Joe Dante was. And it was one of those things where it's like, Oh, okay, he did Gremlins. Oh, he did Gremlins too. Okay, he did uh he did uh The Burbs and Inner I like those movies. Oh, okay, he in and then and then eventually I just kind of figured it out, but I don't know exactly when. But yeah, he's Joe Dante, he's kind of uh kind of the Tarantino of his day. You know, um, where he just he loves movies so much and he just every movie has, you know, you can watch them a thousand times and you're always going to find something new in it because he just jam packs them so full of so many little tiny details. And and it's not, and they're not just uh, little cameos or Easter eggs for the sake of doing that. They, you know, they kind of work within the, the world that he's building and it just makes them really rich. And yeah. Don't know if that answers the question, but I love Joe Dante and his movies are aces in my book.
0: You know, I, I'm sorry, Bruce Berkey. I don't want to bury the lead here. Okay. You're, um, first off, we're going to get to your two Joe Dante picks in a second for this episode. I just wanted a little tease for this episode. We're going to get to why Eric Holmes has proclaimed Gremlins, directed by Joe Dante, as his all-time favorite movie. I can't wait to discuss that in depth with you personally, Eric. So that's going to be a little bit of a teaser for this episode. But before we get to that, Bruce Perky, what are the two films that we are going to spotlight from Joe Dante? Obviously hard to pick. Why did you make these two decisions? Um, I made, well, Gremlins just
1: because it's a great movie. And it's probably, of all of his movies, probably the most well-known. But also, even with all the love around it, it's probably still underappreciated, I think. And then Matinee, because partly because I hadn't I hadn't seen it in its entirety maybe for a long time. I, I didn't remember it too clearly, but I all but my main recollection of it was it was a great movie about the love of movies. Um and I thought that would be a really fun one to check out. And I know there's a ton of stuff to dig in there as well. And one other thing I want to add in, because you talked about how we're gonna get into why um it's the best movie of all time. Gremlins is uh, in in Eric's eyes, and maybe some other people's. Every he also years. challenged us to come up with a question that he couldn't answer for Gremlins. So I'm going to definitely try to do that when we get towards the end of that segment. So,
0: okay, I I, I failed. Uh, my only question is my hard question to you, Eric: Who directed Gremlins?
2: Oh, geez, I'm I really bad one. at this.
0: Steven Spielberg, oh. right? <laughs> Damn it. So, uh, yeah, that's really cool. Did you know Joe was short for Joseph? Stumped you? Oh, like Joseph that was. Jose. <laughs> now, Bruce. Okay. So, you know, you know, it's so it's so funny. There's this movie called I think it's called Did you see this movie directed by Dwight Little with starring Steven Seagal and Kurt Russell? I think it's called Executive Decision. Decision? Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, is it right? I have a feeling this episode is going to be because look, Bruce, you picked Joe Dante. Okay. And I, I, I respect that, but I feel like you're Steven Seagal in this episode. Steven Seagal in, in that movie executive decision, whatever that movie was made, he's killed. Spoiler alert 20 yeah. minutes into the movie. And then Kurt Russell, <laughs> Kurt Russell and Halle Berry basically take over the entire thing. So I think Eric Holmes. This is a little sneak peek. I have a feeling that me and me and Bruce are we're going to be the Steven Seagals of executive decision, and you're going to be Halle Berry and Kurt Russell on this Joe Dante episode. So we'll see. We will see. That that said, Eric, I'm going to try to steer this latest conversation away from you, right to Bruce. And what what movie should we start with first, Bruce? I think we probably need to start
1: with Matinee, even though time wise, line wise, it's after Gremlins in history. But I feel like we're going to go down a rabbit hole with Gremlins, a very, very deep Gremlin y rabbit hole. So Excellent. we probably should start with Matinee first. <laughs> and
0: okay. then... Well, Matinee was released in 1993. It stars John Goodman is the the big quote unquote star of the film. It also stars Kathy Moriarty from that movie Raging Bull, which we know her from. She's a, She was also in this movie that I still haven't seen called Wide of the Eye, which I've always wanted to see for the last 35 years. Never seen that. But sh- so short plot synopsis from IMDb, quote, unquote, a small-time film promoter releases a kitschy horror film during the Cuban Missile Crisis. That is a horrible plot synopsis. Small-time film promoter is John Goodman. He plays Lawrence Woolsey. He's sort of a throwback to, I guess, I'm probably saying this wrong. Like, uh, well, I'm, t- I'm trying to think of film promoters, but he was like a, you know, this is a, a like a homage to the those William Castle type movies, the er- the era when when uh, filmmakers, producers, uh, entertainers tried to put put a little bit of. Little bit of extra entertainment into their movies, whether it's a smellorama thing or if it's a shock in your seats while you're watching the movie, all these little gadgets and tricks to bring audiences into the theater. Maybe it's a, a titillating. Actress in a compromising position with a monster, and it's on a poster, and it's suggestive enough for people to come in. That's sort of the draw behind Matinee. It's about how Lawrence Woolsey tries to attract these people in this small town. That's just a small part in the movie, and yeah. yeah, Bruce, can you
1: take over? What yeah, I mean, I, mean, I think this, this is even more so than Gremlins because Gremlins has a plot that really is pretty integral, and and you want to go with the plot as well as all the characters and stuff. This movie, the plot is, is really just a loose structure to hang all of the movie love and, and characters around because it doesn't go a lot uh, places. It doesn't, there isn't a huge, (laughs) you know, path that is followed. You basically have a few days during the Cuban missile crisis, some kids and the William Castle like character coming into town and, the interactions that occur and this kind of gets to the heart right out of the gate of kind of the way that he adds so much value to his movies they're entertaining they're fun to watch and they give you so much movie history if you want them to be want to find the movies that are referenced you can if you know the movies that are referenced you'll love it even more. And like you said, right out of the gate, definitely John Goodman shines in this. And I would say so does Kathy Moriarty, but John Goodman shines as the uh, William Castle guy. And if you don't know who William Castle is, he is worth discovering all on his own. And probably what's the most famous William Castle movies, 13 Ghosts, uh, The House on Haunted Hill, The Tingler, which is kind of, they do a reference to that a little bit here because during The Tingler, he tried to, some of the seats would be wired to kind of vibrate and kind of buzz the people during certain key moments, uh, things like that. So I guess I would just get you guys to give your first impressions out of the gate. And I can definitely talk about some things that I loved about it, ways that it works. It works on nostalgia in kind of two ways. Cause it's now it's an, a nostalgic movie of its own, but it's nostalgic in its very nature, you know, definitely the love of a young nerdy kid that wants to get, monster movies and wants to get the girl and wants to, you know, all those things.
0: Well, the the nerdy part I I really loved because, okay. So the nerd in this movie he's, he's sort of a, not, not, not really an outcast. He's sort of a little bit, you know, he's a little bit of an outsider because his dad's in the military. Gene Loomis played by actor, child actor, Simon Fenton. So Mm -hmm. Gene is the guy who I think maybe each of us can relate to in so many more Uh, listeners. You can relate to this. Gene Loomis. He's a, he's a cinephile. He loves movies And he's probably he's he's one of those guys who keeps horror magazines, film magazines in his room just to just to read. He's one of those people. And oh, look, you have a monster. Oh, monsters. Is that he literally has these famous monsters of film
1: lands. Oh, wow. Magazines in his in the scenes.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I, I remember reading a ton of – were you guys movie magazines, guys, uh, when you were growing up? I, I, I collected all that stuff when I was growing up. So I, I was able to relate to that. And, Bruce, you were talking about the fact that it's hardly – it's set in the Cuban Missile Crisis in a small small town, mm-hmm. and there's really not much to go. And it's that's not a knock. I, you don't mean that to no, me.
1: Because this it, is more like a slice of life. It's like, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's you want to just live in this – these few days with these characters, basically. yeah,
0: and it's it's called matinee. So a, a big part of the movie is set in the theater. When you mentioned Kathy Moriarty has is really good in this movie. My initial complaint was, wow, Kathy Moriarty she she plays Lor- the producer Lawrence Woolsey's uh, producer director Lawrence Woolsey's soulmate and companion and also actress in his films. And I was thinking towards. The end, man, I wish they had more of her character in the movie. But then I said, wait a second, I'm wrong. They actually had a lot of her character in the movie because she's one of the main stars in the movie within the movie, Mant. So, Mant. So really this movie, listeners, what you're getting for matinee is not just a love for movies, but if you are a fan of, like Bruce was saying, that era of filmmaking, those type of movies, those castle movies, you get not only matinee as a movie, you get to see... A big portion of this movie, black and white film called Mant, which we'll get to into in a second. Eric Holmes, were you always a fan of Matinee, as far as your love for Joe Dante, or is that Matinee something that you were able to discover later in your, 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 uh, you know, watching of his film, movies?
2: Um, I believe Matinee. Wait, I forget what year it came out. That may have been one. Of the- 93 okay mm-hmm. so there wasn't the wasn't the first joe dante movie i saw in theaters but i did see it when it came out in theaters and i thought it was pretty fantastic and then that you know i i haven't obviously gremlins i've watched billions of times matinee is one i've seen i i kind of watch like every five ten years i'll kind of almost rediscover it and it's it's almost like a new movie every time i watch it this last time i watched it we talked about the uh cuban missile crisis and i uh saw listened to an interview with joe dante and he talked about um kind of growing up around that time and how it was a real thing like we know what it is now but at the time living in it for him it was like a really scary and i think that kind of comes across in matinee especially Mm -hmm. early on when they're in the in the school and the 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 warning goes off and is this a is this a drill or is this the real thing and then they're all down heads up and then the girl stands up it's like how's that going to help you the best thing we can hope for is that the bomb <laughs> hits us directly because if it doesn't what's going to happen is the radiation is going to come and your skin's going to melt off over a weeks time. <laughs> and she, and, but yeah. But then, it, then it cuts to the other characters, and they're just they're listening. You know, the the teachers are trying to calm her down, and all the kids are like, "Is she fucking serious? Are we gonna fucking die?" Like, are like, and so, I they it, it, it and Joe Dante does that really well. He just balances the the drama, real drama, and real comedy, and just handles it fantastically. And and that was one part where I saw, and especially after watching or listening to the interview. It's like, yeah, yeah. You kind of, you kind of nailed it because in that moment, watching that, I'm kind of, you know, kind of putting myself in that position. And yeah, that's a, that'd be pretty harrowing to be in school thinking, oh, this is it, <laughs> the world's going to end right now, and I have to witness it, and I don't want to.
0: Yeah, my reaction when I rewatched it was how much I underrated the film when I saw it back in 1993, and. How not just I underrated it. I just feel like matinee is an ignored film. Unless you're a fan of Joe Dante's work. It's just really, it's an orphaned movie. There's it's real. I I can't, and I don't know. I can't put my finger on why this movie is so ignored. I think it's one of those movies that where uh, I was talking about the
1: plot before, right? This is a great second and third watch movie because And I kind of talk about like the Coen brothers do this really well, right? A lot of times you'll see a Coen brother movie and the first time you're kind of like, "Eh." you're so focused on the plot. You're kind of like, okay. And once you can let the plot go a little bit, you just can live in all of the details and the character interactions. And that is the strength of this movie. And I think if people watch it once, they're kind of like, ah, that was kind of a cheesy movie that didn't go anywhere. And they're kind of missing the point. You know what I mean? Yeah. I feel like, and I don't think this was written, this was not written by Joe Dante, if I remember correctly. No, no but, it's, it uh, tr- tr- feels, tr- but it feels like a lot of his childhood has to be in this movie. I mean, I, I picture him when I watch this movie, I picture him as the little brother the whole time. He's the little brother, the older brother's scaring him, the little brother's kind of watching everything. And I feel like this is like the, you know, years later, the little brother wrote this movie. That's kind of what I feel when I watch this. And I just, I mean, there's so many moments to love, not to mention the parodies. We talk about how awesome, I don't know if we want to get into it already, yeah. not only Mant, which there's a ton of Mant, you can watch a, a super cut of Mant if you want to, you can go on YouTube and places, and it's about 13 minutes long. Wow. It is genuinely funny. There are some moments in there that are so funny. And then there's even another little clip, the one that with Naomi Watts that we discussed in another episode, called The Shook Up Shopping Cart, which is like a really short parody, but it's a parody of like, you know, those uh, Herbie the Love Bug kind of movies. And that, that's hilarious too. So, I mean, I don't know. It's 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 just fun, fun, fun.
0: And you know, like you were saying, the the go- there's some goofy subplots that are just... They don't really mean that much. They're just sort of ancillary stuff. The whole movie is about the matinee. But even the the ancillary stuff, they're entertaining to watch because it's Joe Dante. He has this, mm-hmm. a certain just brevity to the way he tells a story. And it's just yeah. sort of, it's it's just really well done. And it's not it's unpretentious. <laughs> this is I think that's another trademark of Joe Dante, which I think we're gonna get, get into. Yes. But I love he's so humble with the way he approaches his storytelling and it's, it's a lot of his stuff is unadorned but really fun to watch and i think that's one of these things where matinee it just gets better with age i, I have a feeling especially when you get older and you start appreciating movies more and have a bigger knowledge i hate to say this but when you have a, a bigger knowledge of film i'm older now i feel like i appreciate. And it's a much deeper film for, for me, you know, Eric was talking about how he got the the scary part for me. I, for me, it's just a real, I didn't get that true deep love of cinema that he had when I was watching it in 93. I just said, Oh, well, here's his He, I guess he kind of knows the subject, but then as the years pass, it's a much, much deeper film than that. So,
2: yeah. Yeah. I also think the, the stuff with the Cuban missile crisis and like kind of, building it up it, it, cuz it's kind of in the background of, like it's it's always in the background but they're always building it up and it makes the uh what's just say the finale uh mm-hmm. at the movie theater i don't think that scene pays off as well if he did not already do the legwork of building that up right. as a thing cuz it's not just it's not just the kid that's worried about it it's not just something that someone mentioned in passing this is like this doom that's looming over everybody no one talks about it but everyone knows it's there and so when they're sitting in the theater and that thing happens and everyone <laughs> freaks the fuck out it's like yeah nailed that one <laughs> hit that punchline hard
0: i was surprised I, I was surprised at how dangerous it did get at the end also we got to mention bruce we got to mention dick miller and john Sayles. they're yes. just they are so amazing they could have been in their own movie i thought i thought
1: so. well and I was going to mention, that's the other thing. So we talked about all the Easter eggs and stuff, but also by putting these known actors, there's actors in his movies all the time that you will see. And the average viewer might not really know who they are, but it works almost subliminally. So in a movie like this, it's all about the history of movies and this nostalgia and all this stuff. And then in the midst of that, you're kind of in this meta way. You're seeing old B movie actors in roles, and even if they don't know that's who they are, it's like I kind of recognize that. Like, Wait a second, and it kind of does that effect. So, but like you said, John Sales and Dick Miller, but you also got to be like Kevin McCarthy. Kevin yeah. McCarthy, you know, famously from Invasion of the Body Snatchers, the yeah. original, original one, know the final scene, like you know they're coming, listen to me, blah blah blah, which is all about communist scare, right? You know, he's in Mant, and there's all the guys, all the generals and the doctors and stuff in Mant are all from old B movies you know, oh, that's or amazing. little things like he names the, the thug boyfriend, like the bad boy, he names him Starkweather, which is the one of the killers from natural born killers and badlands and all those things. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. So, little things that he'll do like that just to kind of, it just infuses everything with like a weird history. Even if you don't know it's there, it feels, it feels real to you. You know, that, that you know it all
0: means something. So, so essentially, we're we're probably missing a lot of Easter eggs here. Just you got to really dive deep into a lot of Dante's work. He has he has a lot of clues and a lot of cool things. Uh, have you noticed that, Eric? Just from watching oh, someone uh,
2: with, with this one, especially because it, it was written by Charlie Haas, who also wrote Gremlins too. And there's a lot of undercover jokes in there. They they don't jump out as jokes. That, like someone will just kind of the. Probably one of my favorite ones, and I can't, I'm not gonna get the line right, but uh, John Goodman's like, uh, trying to come up with the half, half, half woman, half alligator, uh, woman gator, uh, oh, yeah, um, oh. well, uh, croco woman, gal, gal, galligator, galligator, there you go. It's just like it, it was just a throwaway joke, but you know, and and char- that kind of humor goes through a lot of Joe Dante's movies, but I, I have to say that Charlie Haas has a lot of those are his sense of humor too because a lot of that is uh transfers over to gremlins too as well i'm trying to think what else he wrote but uh yeah he's got a really good sense of humor and and it doesn't they don't always uh the jokes don't always jump out at you the first time you watch them sometimes you got to do it 10 times and it's like wait what did did that person in the background just say (laughs) (laughs) little things like in matt where the one where it's dick miller in
1: the background because he's supposed to be an actor in the movies and he's holding like a sugar bag you know (laughs) stuff like that it's just like
0: just great. (laughs) It's just there. Well, (laughs) Charles S. Haas, Eric Holmes, his last credit was Rebel Highway, a TV series, a limited run TV series. He did a teleplay for that one episode, but that was in 1994. He hasn't done anything. And remember, Matinee was in 1993. Previous to that, like you said, he did Gremlins 2, the new batch. He did a, a TV movie called Gang of Four. But more notably... Uncredited screenplay, uh, screenwriting credit for a Tron. He did the movie 1982 film Tex and mm. Over the Edge. So, you know, between Tex and Over the Edge, he had a pretty, pretty big mark in the 80s. So, weren't those, were those both,
1: uh, Matt Dillon movies,
0: Tex and yeah, Over the Edge? Yeah, yeah, I believe Over the Edge was a Matt Dillon movie as well. Yeah, but is, I mean, you, we remember those movies. Yeah, Matt yeah. Dillon is the lead in Over the Edge. And what happened to this guy? Maybe. Is Charles S. Hass? Uh, maybe Matt Dillon. I don't know. He, I don't know. But uh, yeah, text, text as well. But uh, it's weird. Where is this guy? Where? It, where are you, Charles S. Hass? We're calling out to you. Where? Where are you?
2: place. He's hanging out with Rob Teen, and they both need to come back now. Rob
1: Teen. Yes. Who's that? I'm. I'm completely lost. Okay, Just- so we're we're talking Joe Dante. So Joe Dante, of course, has a, more movies than what we're talking about, but he basically helped the rise of Rob Teen, which is like the Probably the 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 heir other than Stan Winston to special effects. Oh, um, got it, got it. Yeah. So Rob Bottin. This is a good little trivia. It's not one of these movies. So Joe Dante's kind of breakout hit. He he did Piranha and he did a, a few things before that with Corman, yeah. mm-hmm. but he did The Howling. That was kind of his breakout hit. And the the trivia was originally Rick Baker, who famously did the transformation in American World in London, was gonna do The Howling, but then. Uh, John Landis stole him back. He's like, no, no, wait, wait, wait. We're going to make our our American werewolf movie. You come to me. I'm going to get you. So Rob Bottin was his understudy, and he did this, the transformation in The Howling. And then Rob Bottin went on for great fame and doing, um, well, let's thing. see, what is all the Dante? He did The Thing. He did the awesome comic book stuff in the Joe Dante segment in the Twilight Zone, the movie. He did um, a ton of stuff. He, he did, uh,
2: he, he worked with uh David Fincher too. I, I believe he did uh Seven and Fight Club. I could I could be wrong about Seven, but I know yeah. Rob Botine did stuff in Fight Club as well.
1: Well, he's uncredited even with stuff like the original Star Wars, he was like on the cruise of some really early stuff. So Rob Botine is like a master of special effects, yeah.
2: yeah.
0: Oh, wow! I didn't know of uh, Twilight Zone the movie. What what uh segment did Dante direct? Did Dante do? does the
1: one that's the it's the one – and it has um, Kevin McCarthy in it, if I remember correctly, um, where the kid has all the people, and they have to watch the cartoons, and there's a whole –
0: That is the best one out of the whole thing. Yep. That is easily the best one.
1: And that's I... all Rob Bottin stuff, all
0: those crazy, like, um, that is, real – That one's scary. Yeah. That's a scary I, – I would – I the, the movie itself, I was mixed on, but that was the one that I really loved. So. Yeah. Well, I'm sure you've seen you've seen that, right, Eric? You you
2: love the Twilight, Twilight Zone, the movie, or it's, it's been a long time. Uh, the only one I remember is the who did the uh, another one with the Gremlin and John Lithgow, George Miller. Um, okay, I always wanted to say Toby Hooper did that one, but that's, yeah, so you, so got, you got him, Mad John Max Landis, and yeah, John Landis did the one we don't talk about. Yep, yeah, and then Joe Dante did the one you mentioned, and Steven Spielberg. Did he to the do old the yeah the old
0: the old okay. people kick the can kick the can right yeah 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 but the Dante one was the best one that that was easily the best. Well, one. It, it, a lot of people love the George Miller one more, but I think they're both yeah, mm. connect. Yeah, okay, cool, cool. So matinee, any any final thoughts about matinee before we get to Gremlins? Any final uh, check it comment?
2: out. It it is uh, very deep, very rich, and you're gonna find a bunch of fun. And and it can't be overstated. John Goodman is fantastic yes. and everything, but he yes. th- this was like the movie he was born to play, I think. And I think like Gremlins, this is a great
1: comfort food movie. This is a movie you could put on like anytime and drop into it, drop out of it, sit, put it on, and you feel like you're in a world that makes you happy. You know what I mean? I feel like that with this movie.
0: I feel like you can, you can just enjoy this at any time. Yes. And again, yeah, matinee really, really, how did you see this? I rented it. Did you, did you guys rent it? I rented
1: I, it too. I was going to buy it, but I, I didn't see a copy um easily quick, quickly grabbable at a nearby store. I would have bought it, bought it, but um, I rented it. Yeah. Well, I did. I had,
2: oh, go ahead. Oh, Eric. I, I, I was just going to say I have the, uh, the, the special edition on the, on the Blu-ray there. I was oh, going to pull you. it out, but it's not near me. So I will not do that. From Shout Factory, I believe Shout Factory. Yeah. Shout out with special. Factory. Okay.
0: Now there's a, a a second movie chosen by Bruce Perky is this 1984 film called Gremlins. I recently went to my Best Buy and purchased the 4K Blu-ray UHD copy of Gremlins. Definitely, I saw it for the first time, and and I I, I am very embarrassed to say that's the first time I've seen it. Now I'm just gonna again quote unquote not bury the lead. Eric Holmes. You say this is your favorite movie. My favorite movie of all time. I forget what your favorite movie of all time, Bruce, is. Probably Harold and Maude. Harold and Maude. Okay, good. And then mine is Vertigo. Okay, mine is Vertigo because I remember the first time I saw it on VHS, the Salt Bass opening credits, the entire movie of love and sexual obsession and the twist, and it got me into this whole lifelong love for suspense, thrillers. That said, it's my favorite movie, but there are m- so many better movies in Vertigo. Oh, yeah. It's one of my favorite movies because of how much it influenced my life. And I live- I have a Vertigo shirt in my-, in-, in my closet. So my question to you, Eric Holmes, would you attest that there are so many better films than Gremlins? <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. You are not. <laughs> I
2: shook my head.
0: No. <laughs> very good. He's appealing to both video and audio. By the way, that's the first time Eric Holmes has actually considered both video and audio that he, so that means he really loves Gremlins. So, why is Gremlins your favorite movie? Obviously, it does not it's not just about nostalgia for you.
2: Yeah. Well, I I think nostalgia definitely plays a part in it because it's such a big part of my childhood and the uh hype that led to me, you know, I had to Seek out the movie and discover the movie before I even seen it. To as I mentioned, to the point I don't even remember the first time I seen it. It's just it feels like it's always been a part of me. But beyond that, and uh, this actually kind of goes to a lot of Joe Dante's movies. Um, Gremlins does one of my favorite bands, and and we talked uh, a little. I, I didn't really mention that it was one of my favorite bands, but Mr. Bungle's one of my favorite bands. Faith No More. One of the reasons I love them so much is that Faith No More and mr bungle they both do so many different genres of music and every genre they hit they nail it they they got the they got the uh the metal down they got the funk down they got the the easy listening down they got the the you know hawaiian music down like they do everything they tackle it's like the best version of that genre they're trying to tackle gremlins is kind of uh similar in that regard because it's a it's a family movie It's a Christmas movie. It's a horror movie. It's a comedy go on down the line. And it's, it's everything. It tackles so many genres and it does every genre. It touches. It just absolutely nails. It's like the best version of every genre it touches. And it's it's um, much like matinee. It's got so many, uh, it, even today I watch it and I'll find little, little tiny things. Not much these days because I've seen it way too many times. There's so many details that you can pick up that you might not have picked up the, the last time. So it, it's you know even though i'm not picking up big things anymore when i watch it i'm still picking up something so it's all like watching a new movie and then you go and then you know i get into it and i go back and read the original script which is uh mentioned to you guys in chat but uh <laughs> the original script to uh gremlins written by chris columbus is night and day different than than the movie that we all know then it's got the novelization which has you know a whole bunch of different backstories and that in and of itself is a whole different different story did you like the novelization did you like that oh yeah yeah i i I love everything about gremlins ever and in fact they got the the gremlin secret of the mogwai coming out and i already love that movie or that that tv show and it's not even out yet and i hate tv shows (laughs) because they always like get canceled early but uh, yeah, do you e- wish that a- that
0: Columbus script was ever? I mean, do you ever fantasize about that script being? Oh yeah,
2: yeah. Th- I I've always because people are like you know they've talked about making a Gremlins three forever, and you know oh they're, oh, they're gonna do CGI though as long as you keep the fun of it and do what they did with the first two gremlins i'm fine with it and just the fact that put gremlins in it and i love it because they're funny and scary and hilarious the novel or the the original script there was a point where someone was like oh warner brothers is gonna do a remake of gremlins and i'd heard people like oh you can't remake gremlins i'm like oh yes you can because there is a script that they did not shoot the the gremlins movie we everybody knows is not that is not that script that script is dark um you know every, one of the big scenes in gremlins is when they hatch and lynn Peltzer is going around killing all the gremlins in the script uh billy comes home and the uh his mom's head goes rolling down <laughs> the attic And Corey Feldman's character, he gets, uh, he gets pulled into a snowman and eaten alive. Like that, that, that movie is a straight up B horror movie. Mm -hmm. I figure if you're ever going to remake, if someone's going to remake Gremlins, that's the way to do it. Warner brothers, they clearly already own the script. Just take that script and do it exactly as the script is without the changes. Oh, another big change. Gizmo does not remain gizmo throughout the entire movie. Gizmo turns into Stripe in the, in the original script and it, it it's such it would be awesome to watch someone take that original script and make a movie of it as the script is written just as a way to you know it, it's always fun going back to see what could have been you know I, I don't know if I'd love it more or less probably equally but look if you're going to remake Gremlins that's the way to do it and if you want to hire me to do it I will <laughs> <laughs>
1: I I think to me, like one of the things that makes it so great though, is what you said, Eric, is how he does so many genres because if it got so dark. You'd lose some of the other, the other stuff that's there. Yeah. So uh, that's one thing I love about it is just, and i cut you off, Greg. Sorry. No, just, no, no, no. Just like everything from the, the Frank Capra esque, you know, small town stuff, the Christmas stuff, the, the wonder and like cute stuff. And then the, the humor and then of course the horror so it's got all those things in there which makes it so rewatchable and so much fun and never boring i mean not even close to boring you couldn't even try to make this movie boring
0: you know you know so, i just i wonder what dante does so well is because he loves movies so much when eric you're talking about the different genres it approaches there's a there are directors who will if they try to do a frank capra style small town you see it and you go, wow, this is so hackneyed and self-conscious, right? The way it's shot or the way it's done. You know the filmmaker, he or she, really, they don't really love the genre. They're just trying to ape it. And it seems yeah. that with gremlins, every genre it tackles, it's not self-conscious. It's not to the point of where it's so self-referential. It's very in, inside baseball and esoteric. Only a, a niche audience will love. It's just pure, just pure fun. And yeah. I, I, he doesn't try to hide it. He doesn't
1: try
2: to pretend yeah. it's not there. He yeah. acknowledges it. He's, like, I'm doing this. Watch this, you know. Yeah. And, and he yeah. clearly understands what he's trying to do. Good times when we did uh, William Freakin. And he does all the different genres because that—that's kind of what the what the uh, movie's about—is because they're trying to make different yeah. movies. But you, I, it, at least, I got the sense that William Friedkin, you know, he knew what a caveman mo- or uh, a Tarzan movie was. He knew what a western was. He knew you, what a comedy was, and he made those movie those segments as if he was doing that earnestly. And that—that's what Joe Dante does with Gremlins, like all the, you know, he knows what's scary, and he knows uh, what what makes. For- Frank Capra movie's great. And he know, you know, he, he knows all these things and why they work. And so he's able to just get in there and, you know, nail it, ace everything, everything this movie tries, it aced, it aces. And furthermore, this movie is airtight as far as plot goes. Yes. You may say, you may say Oh, there's a part where Rampelser gets the gets the bathroom buddy. And it sprays on its face, and then it cuts cuts away, and the uh, the shaving cream from here to here. Oh, oh, that's a, no, Eric, you're wrong. That's a fuck up. No, it is not. The gremlins got in the editing bay and jerked that around. <laughs> oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> eating after midnight. Now that now eating after midnight wins midnight. That's a plot hole. No, it's not the gremlins got in the script and fucked it up for you. So just (laughs) the the very fact that the, the characters themselves and they break the fourth wall, especially in gremlins too, they break the fourth wall. So any mistake you can find in gremlins can be explained through. Yeah. The gremlins got in the script and, uh, mess with it because that's what they do
0: yeah listeners if you've never seen gremlins as of yet as of this listening to this podcast a couple things i'm going to spoil for you not plot wise well maybe maybe a couple plot wise but not not a big deal because it's such an iconic film biggest things that surprised me about this movie holy crap i had no idea it was this violent it mm-hmm. is really violent i had i was scared i would there are people People literally mm-hmm. die in this movie. I thought I was. I thought this was one of these. I was thinking Joe Dante, eighties movie, Spielberg esque type of that whole kind of school. I, it'll make you feel good. Maybe something will be happen that's really bad, but it's it's just water and they go crazy a little bit. But nothing's. You know, everything happens in this movie, so that's totally completely surprised me. I had no idea.
1: Okay, Eric. Eric, what was what was the result of that? The result of what? All the violence in this movie, partial oh. result.
2: <laughs> probably, well, probably the original script. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, didn't oh. this
1: kind of partially lead to the PG thirteen? Right, this one and a couple. of yeah, other
2: things? Yeah, it was this and this and Red Temple Dawn, of Doom? I believe. Temple of Doom, too. I think. Wait, maybe Red Dawn was the first PG thirteen. Yeah, I Red Dawn right. was in there. Okay, so there you go. So it was this and Temple of Doom, or Dreamscape, yeah. might have been too. Maybe, yeah, definitely this, and definitely uh, Temple of Doom. And okay. so, yeah, because Temple of Doom, they pull the guy's heart out and they're like, yeah. This is PG, and they're like, PG 13. All right, All back right. to Greg, cut <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. off, Greg. Oh, uh, yeah, and also,
0: no, 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 that's that's so interesting. But I'm thinking also, another thing that really surprised me, I love this movie called The Third Man. Orson Welles is Harry Lime, and he talks about the uh, the war, and and you need it's stress uh, centuries of you know, stress and warfare, it'll create, sometimes it'll create great works of art. And, but look at the, look at people from Switzerland, all these centuries, no war, no no, blah, blah, blah. What did it, what does, what do they create? The kugel clock, right? So that's a great monologue. There's, uh, I'm trying to think of other great monologues. This Phoebe Cate's (laughs) <laughs> log from Gremlins. She plays this character, Kate Beringer who is ultimately the inevitable love interest of the main character. What's the main character's name? Played by Zach Galligan, Eric Holmes. What's his main? What's his name? I believe his name is Billy
2: Peltzer. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. Well, okay, okay. So how many
1: times have <laughs> you? Seen don't worry. This movie. <laughs> the, the 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 trivia test is going to come up. Don't okay. Be- <laughs> how many times have you seen this movie,
2: Eric Holmes? How many times? Guess. I don't. I don't. Uh, over a hundred. Easy, over a hundred, over a hundred easy. Okay. And that, and that's not like hyperbole. Like I've seen a lot over a hundred easy. Okay. Listeners, the Phoebe Cates monologue about what
0: Christmas monologue, why Christmas uh, that whole kind of monologue about a memory of a family memory. I'm not going to give too much away, but it's a monologue that I was listening to the commentary. You know, this obviously Eric, and I'm sure you know this Bruce, that it's a monologue literally Joe Dante fought tooth and nail to keep this monologue in and thank goodness it stayed in because it is an iconic monologue. I was blown away. Mm -hmm. If I hated everything about this movie, which I don't, I'd love this movie, but this monologue really stands out as one of my favorite moments in cinema. 1984, Greg, who was 13 years old. If I had seen gremlins at at that point, I would have probably fallen in love at that moment with Phoebe Cates after So if you haven't seen Gremlins, definitely see it, even at the very least for this wonderful monologue by Phoebe Cates. So,
2: yes, yeah. Here's another fun fact is uh, Gremlins features Corey Feldman's first sex scene. Oh,
1: okay. If you know how
2: Gremlins works, they're asexual creatures. And when you pour water on them, they multiply. (laughs) When you multiply, that's a sexual act. Corey Feldman pours water on Gizmo Corey Feldman's first sex scene is in Gremlins with Gizmo.
0: <laughs> oh, oh, that's something interesting.
2: To, something to think about. Something,
0: yeah, as, as one would say from the 80s, one to grow on, right? One to grow yeah. on.
2: And and, te- and technically, uh, it was unconsensual, so it's technically a rape scene, but we won't get into that. That is very deep diving, Eric Holmes, on the Gremlins. This is just, you know what? You could you could do
0: another RPG, just uh, license the Gremlins thing. <laughs> and just go right right that would be there. awesome actually set yeah. it set it within the the dante worlds of where gremlin set, and then maybe we'll extrapolate it to matinee that that whole little small town yeah what else bruce you got some you got some trivia yes,
1: we're gonna go some... down the trivia line uh, first of all i saw the sneak preview of this i dragged my family to go see the sneak preview because i wanted to see this movie so once again i'm going to take credit for this existing partially the way it does so you can thank me later eric and uh First of all, this is this is not really trivia, but just do you have any idea what movie this sneak previewed with? Because old sneak previews, you'd have to go pay to see a movie that was out at a certain time. And then you'd stay through the movie, and then they'd have one of the blocks taken out so they could put in
2: the sneak preview movie. I don't because I didn't see this in the theater. Well, yeah. I didn't see it in theater when it came out, so I, I wouldn't have known so that. So it came out in June. I believe I saw it in March or
1: April. So I my family had to sit all the way through Tarzan... The Legend of Greystoke. Really? I love that movie. <laughs> Featuring monkey stuff by uh, Rick Baker. And then they got to watch Gremlins after that. So that was that's not really trivia. The real trivia is coming now. <laughs> that's so, it. That,
2: thank you, Bruce. That just made me love Gremlins even more. Go
1: on. <laughs> did you so, like Greystoke, by the way? Did you like Greystoke? Yeah, it was a good movie, but not okay. Gremlins. I mean, it's not Gremlins Come oh, on now. Yeah. So, oh, so luckily it, it was is. in that order. It was Gremlins second, not but that's a if you know how that's a pretty long movie that's like a good almost a four-hour block that i made my family do yeah i was i don't know how old i was, whenever that came out i was you know i was old enough but anyway so do you know the real name of the dog
2: and what other horror movie it appeared in well the dog's name in the movie is barney i believe the dog's real name is mushroom correct and i don't know what other movie it was in Mushroom was also in Pumpkinhead. Oh that's right. right. God damn it.
1: Right. <laughs> I did I did um, know that. So, before they finally settled on puppetry, what did they originally try to do to make the uh, Gremlins come to life? <laughs>
2: I know you know this. Yes, I do. The um uh, I guess uh, monk, like dressing up monkeys. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> Wow. I mean, they, they they tried a couple other things, but that that was one they're like, yeah, no, that's not going to work. <laughs> yes. What are
1: two famous science fiction props that, that appear at the convention that the dad is at? And what happens to one of the props in a later scene? Mm. I do know this. First one's
2: uh, Rob the Robot from Lost in Space. Uh, that, that's uh, the easy nope. one. Nope. It's For- from but- Forbidden Planet. Yeah, there you go and then in the background uh, when uh rampelser is talking you see the time machine from the time machine and then it cuts away and then it cuts back and then it's gone with smoke yep. and people looking around like what the yep that's right absolutely correct what what
1: corporate logo very closely resembles the gremlins and in the in the movie no in real life Oh, that, uh, that preceded this movie. Oh, shit. You may
2: have stumped me on that. I, I have no idea.
1: There was a little chrome gremlin on the gremlin car that is very similar in shape and size to what the actual gremlins ended up Oh, like, like the, the, the
2: AMC gremlin? Yep. The, all right. Yep. I, I guess I could have just
1: guess that one. <laughs> Who was the actual director of the science short that's playing the heart beating that's playing during oh. the
2: murder of the teacher by a gremlin that was i kn- cuz we watched that in school <laughs> that was Hemo the magnificent i don't know who directed that
1: though that science short that was actually used for school teaching was directed by frank capra
2: know, know. <laughs> yeah cuz we, we we watched that in uh i think it was junior high uh they they put that on and i i remember it got to that part and i'm like hey i know this yeah i saw this in gremlins
1: yep so that's all yeah. i got for you but i thought those are fun things for people to hear anyway so you know yeah.
2: those are good ones you guys Stumped me on a couple so what do you, i just
0: saw this what do you guys think of joe dante's upcoming film the man with
2: kaleidoscope eyes i've oh. been waiting for that forever uh, he keeps talking about it uh, and he mentions it on his uh movies that made me podcast they bring it up once in a while and i think uh is it uh, the, the, who did Mandy Spectrovision, vision, uh, Elijah Woods mm-hmm. film company? I think they're producing it maybe, okay, but cool. yeah, it, it, I, I, I've heard of this for years. And as soon as it comes out, I'm fucking ready for it. And it's a, it's a documentary or is it going to be a feature film? Do you know? I it's thought cool. it was going to be, I thought it was going to be a movie, like a feature film. Cause it's isn't fe- it? Go
0: ahead. You tell me, Greg, it's a feature film and it's a biopic on, of course, you guys know this Roger Corman. You know, Roger mm-hmm. Corman being a mentor to Dante Dante working under Corman and cutting his teeth on filmmaking under Corman. And here's the great news. One of the credited writers of this of this movie, the man with kaleidoscope eyes, is Tesla filmmaker Michael Almore, is one of the writers. So yeah. we're very excited <laughs> for um we love we are since we all love tesla but you know michael Amreta, one of the writers for the man with kaleidoscope eyes but it's going to be directed by joe dante so
1: that now i'm
2: uh, am i corrected go ahead ahead. i I was gonna say we, we we mentioned in the in the previous episode you know tesla that movie sucks but sometimes sometimes people do bad things yes and then they come back yeah, lots, lots of people make bad movies and then they go on to make great things. So I got my fingers crossed and maybe he'll, uh, maybe he'll come back within my good graces after Tesla with the man with the kaleidoscope eyes. Fair and enough. Am I, am I wrong Fair about enough. this? Because
1: isn't it all specifically based on Roger Corman directing the movie, the trip? Oh
0: yeah. Because I think Jack Nicholson, there's some, some Jack Nicholson.
1: Because I watched
0: the trip last week because of this.
2: Oh, and if you sh- don't,
1: do you guys know anything about the trip? No, very little. No, it's like, uh, I, I've heard of it, but I've,
2: I've never seen it. It's, I, I wouldn't it's say it's a great movie. Trip. It's an oddity,
1: but it's it is. directed by It's directed by Corman. It's written by Jack Nicholson. It stars Bruce Dern and Carradine and... Um, um, Peter um, Fonda um, and Dennis Hopper? Or Dennis Hopper. Yeah, it's not yeah. Carradine. It's, it's Peter Fonda and um, Dennis Hopper. And it's basically about Fonda taking a one night acid trip and all the trippiness that occurs, you know, and it's also about his relationship, breaking up with his wife and Jack Nicholson's wife. It's he wrote it. Right. And it's, I wouldn't say it's a great movie, but it's a really weird movie. And I can imagine a movie about the making of that movie could be super interesting. Roger Corman has said that he took acid so he could make sure to like properly, (laughs) <laughs> you know, like uh represent the experience. And of course, all of them, I'm sure took lots of acid during this time period. I would say if you decide to go check it out, it is on Amazon Prime. The one thing that is interesting about it is that you get to see these real life settings in like like 67 in the Hollywood Hills, like in an actual hippie mansion, and then yeah. a whole bunch of stuff down on the strip. When he's tripping out, he eventually leaves the mansion and goes down on the strip. So there's a few really good, good scenes in there. But this could be an amazing and fascinating movie and knowing the way Dante like drops in so much weird period stuff i could imagine this movie being fantastic so yeah
2: cool i, I wonder if he's gonna i wonder if he's gonna shoot it in film or digital because the last couple of movies he's done it, they look digital yeah. the Burying the x and i want to say the whole yeah that's about right digital and then He's done a. He's done a couple other. Uh, oh, the Nightmare Cinema with uh, Mick Garris, mm-hmm. Ryuhei Kitamura, and mm-hmm. some. Um, I, I cannot remember. But yeah, Nightmare oh, Cinema. David Slade, but that's not right. But yeah, yeah. They, his last few movies look like they were shot on digital. But wouldn't that be something if he actually got to shoot this one on on film and really yeah. got the really got to go in deep on the, the filmmaking aspect of it, making it look legit as, you know. Right, yeah. Nightmare that's Cinema. Gonna be, that's going to be a good movie. I'm I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah. I hope it gets made soon.
0: Yeah, Nightmare Cinema, Dante, Mick Garris, Alejandro Bru- Bruges, or something.
2: There you go, the one of the dead guy. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, and then uh, Kitamura and then David Slade. Now, f- before we go on Joe Dante, my question to both of you, is let's say someone's listening. Okay, so he or she they're listening to they watch matinee they watch Gremlins. What is the third Dante movie that they should watch? That uh, right off the top, just to
2: just to um, run it out. Not to counting, me. not counting Gremlins too. Yeah, because <laughs> that'd be my answer. Um, okay, yeah. Actually, you know Hollywood Boulevard. That's such a... I, I think that's might be his first movie because mm-hmm. that that's kind of kind of a movie but also he uh, i guess the the whole idea was that they shoot the movie but like all the big action scenes were uh unused footage or maybe used footage from other roger corman movies and it actually works really well because it doesn't it doesn't look like they're plugging in footage from sometimes it does but a lot of times the the action scenes don't look like they're plugging in parts from other movies and if you like death race 2000 (laughs)
1: <laughs> uh, Frankenstein
2: Carr makes it uh, makes a cameo at the end. That's cool. Hollywood Boulevard. Yeah, Ho- Ho- Hollywood Boulevard, just because it's one of his first ones, and it it shows an early early spark of what Joe Dante becomes later on.
0: Very cool. It stars Mary Warnov and Paul Bartel. I remember them. Of course, That's a duo from <laughs> Eating Raoul.
1: So they were in a bunch of those ones back then. So,
0: and one of the actors in Hollywood Boulevard is. Jonathan Kaplan. Jonathan Kaplan would end up having quite the directing career. So he directed movies that he's directed, Love Field, Unlawful Entry, Immediate Family, The Accused, Project X. So Hollywood Boulevard, that's apropos. There's some really interesting actors in that movie. Bruce, what's what's your Joe Dante recommendation?
1: I would probably say either the Burbs, like we talked about before, because I think that really fits in nicely with those. Those three are like a really great like triple feature. I think they all share things, but all give you different things. Or if you want to go to something that's a little different tonally, um, maybe try the Howling. I think the Howling is is also okay. another underrated one, but it has a lot of cool stuff in it, and is really um, like a lot of his movies. It's an oddball movie for a werewolf movie. It doesn't really fit the. The stereotypes. So that's a, that's a good one that you maybe a yeah, lot of people haven't a, seen.
2: That that's a good pick too because Owling that that's one of those movies you think you know what it is going in. Yep, you have no idea what you're getting. And into. you get to see d Wallace and like one of her first
0: major roles. Probably, I believe. Yeah. 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 So well, before we go, uh each of us we're going to just do a little round on what we think makes. I guess, Joe Dante, a unique filmmaker, me being the least experienced. For me, it goes back to that monologue with Phoebe Cates. And during the commentary for Gremlins, he talks about really fighting for that moment because he he loves mixing both pathos and goofiness, had the right amount of pathos and goofiness. And when I think of his movies, a lot of his movies blend, like you were saying, Eric, that tragedy with the comedy. And I don't really know many directors who can reach that level or try and they fail miserably. They either go one or the other, never just write it down the middle. And I think I can't name many directors who go right down the middle as far as balancing like uh, Joe Dante. So that's my take on what makes one of the many things that makes him a special filmmaker. Bruce, your turn. Uh, I just think the
1: the pure joy and rewatchability in his movies almost across the board, but especially in his, in his heyday, which is like, you know, most of his career basically. But I mean, I think you can watch his movies over and over again. They're super rewatchable and they're just, they're just a joy to watch. I think that I can't imagine people who love film, not loving at least something from Joe Dante, if not a lot of his
0: stuff. And I think
1: he's highly underrated in that aspect. So
0: cool. And even though Bruce Perky spotlighted Joe Dante, and going back to that executive, what what is that movie executive decision? Executive, whatever. Steven Seagal, twenty minutes into the movie, dead. Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Again, Eric Holmes, you're gonna you're gonna lead us out. What what makes
2: Joe Dante a unique filmmaker for you? Hey, tell you what, you know, you you like the Gremlins. Ain't nothing wrong with it. Look, it's a Kentucky Harvester. Never let me down. (laughs) Every time I start it up, I just keep watching the whole thing. It's Kentucky Harvest, and Gremlins has the greatest pickup line in any movie. Come on, we're talking cable, (laughs) right? (laughs) Very good, very good. I was expecting my new apartment. I haven't seen your old apartment. Come on, we're talking. All right, sorry, (laughs) fucked it up. But go ahead. And we're done. I, I thought was, I was expecting a
0: scholarly, uh, like a 500-page <laughs> dissertation. So end the dissertation. Well, you know, it's all inferred with Eric Holmes. He he bleeds Joe Dante every episode. Look at that. Look at that. See? For
2: our, for our listeners, audio. what is that? What are you showing, Eric Holmes? What are you showing? Oh, it's, it's Stripe. Stripe wants to give his uh, his two cents on gremlins. Okay. Stripe oh. What's your two cents? Oh, and then then Bruce Burkish. Go I was ahead. in the greatest movie ever made. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that was scary. <laughs> <And> thank <laughs> you for the thing, Bruce. I'm gonna pull since you guys pulled a fast one. The Joe Dante, we love Joe Dante. The Joe Dante was a little bit <gasps> a little about 10 20 was because I hadn't seen Gremlins. Thank you for, for making for forcing me to watch Gremlins. I'm glad we did this Joe Dante episode. We do we take turns as far as director spotlights. I'm gonna throw a little bit of a fast one to you guys. It's my turn next time in a couple of weeks. We're gonna do another director spotlight. My choice in two weeks is I am going to defer my choice and go to Eric Holmes because I literally am more excited. I, I really wanted to do this filmmaker I love called Sam Samuel Fuller. I love Samuel Fuller, but lately I'm more excited in the next two weeks to dive into the career of Ida Lupino and Eric Holmes. Can you tell our listeners what to expect in a couple of weeks when we dive into the work of Ida Lupino and why
2: she's your pick for our next director spotlight? Well, I, I just picked her. I don't honestly, I have no idea what to expect. I just, uh Angie Clark recommended. I watched The big miss and I did. And I really, really liked that movie. And, you know, other than Elise Guy Blaché, you don't get many female directors and uh that movie impressed me enough and she seemed like she could possibly be a very interesting one so as far as what to expect i have no idea because i know almost nothing about her other than that movie and that i really liked it so this will be for me it'll be complete learning experience just going in completely blind and i don't know well we'll we'll see we'll see what we come out with on the other side i imagine if it's anything like the bigamist we're going to be pretty uh happily surprised well definitely the bigamist I'm, I'm assuming in a couple of weeks that will be one of the films we're going to cover
0: because that'll be kind of like a mini rewind spotlight that seems like a very big film for uh, for us to cover and uh, i'm so excited and maybe a couple of you will get to re i can't wait to rewatch watch her twilight zone episode that that episode's amazing bruce you have anything uh final to say since you're, you're the one who spearheaded this program
1: no i'm just really really happy that you liked the movies you saw and i'm really happy you got to finally see gremlins because now you are one of us google gobble <laughs> google gobble <laughs> one of us
0: okay with that we will see you guys next week thank you guys so much for listening i i am scared to to, i'm very scared as i stutter my way out of here thanks guys for the support talk to you guys later Bye.
3: so joe earlier today i talked to andy and he talked about how much of a great collaborator you have been and i'm just wondering what was it about this project that made you want to help shepherd it as an executive producer and the second part of my question is in general, what is the key to a successful collaboration with 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 a fellow filmmaker?
4: Well, that's a that's a that second one is a tall question. Depending on um, wh- whether you're a producer collaborating or or collaborating with another director, I'm a director collaborating with a director, but I'm also a producer, which makes <laughs> so, it more confusing. You- Every, I it's part of a whole thing about um, trying to give back. You know, when you, when you finally get to a certain point where you have any credibility? I, I I had a lot of I had a lot of mentors when I started out. I mean Roger Corman. If it wasn't for Roger Corman's existence, I wouldn't be talking to you right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I always felt that if I ever you know got anywhere, I would like to be able to do the same for other up and coming filmmakers. And so uh, at, at my company Renfield, we've we've been on occasion uh, getting involved with and backing independent pictures that are uh, made by people who you know can use a little help trying to get them set up. And um whenever there's a, a, a good piece of material and that's the difficult part is finding something that's, you know, enough of a genre movie to make them, the fans happy, but also is a little different so you can to say you're doing something new. Um and when this script uh came over to transom, uh, Alex's script, my uh, my partner Mark uh Alan and I um uh, thought that this was Probably a pretty good bet, and as something that we we could understand and we could we could uh, contribute to, and we could hopefully get made because the whole the whole business now is basically about trying to get your picture made, and um, sometimes that means building up blocks of financing in different places and trying to get it all together so that there's a particular time that you can actually make the movie. But sometimes one or two of the blocks fall out and the movie is postponed or sometimes canceled. And so it's a a very frustrating period for independent films because you're never really sure whether or not your movie is going to go. I mean, we've all read about, you know, pictures starring famous people like Johnny Depp who, you know, start shooting and then they run out of money and the picture never gets made. Yeah. So you know that, that that's an accomplishment right there is to just get something made. And uh, you know when uh, with the the combination of Alex and Andy just seemed like a, a pretty good bet to me.
3: Yeah, you know I I really enjoyed how this film doesn't rely on on uh, ultra violence or gore. It really relies on building the story and, and and pacing and it's very suspenseful and there's a twist. Is that what you loved about this movie? How how subtle it was in its storytelling. What did you? Yeah,
4: well, I, you know, I, I think that as I said, it's difficult to do good genre material that isn't just a carbon copy of something else. And uh, in in some of the reactions I've seen to the movie, some people said, well, you know, it starts out kind of slow, but then it gets really good. And when it says it starts out kind of slow, that means takes time to introduce the characters and the situation, just like the movies of the past that I. You know I've always loved did you know it's it, it, there's a there's a tendency now to just sort of throw everything at the kitchen sink in the first reel and then have to repeat yourself for the rest of the movie and I don't think that makes for pictures that have any staying power so uh, you know when you when you when you take the time to set up the characters and set up the situation and draw the the audience in, I think you could you have a much better chance of actually you know producing an emotion in them as the picture runs on.
3: You know, regarding films that stand because of time, every, I'm sure you get every single day people um, praising me for gremlins. And, and uh, I, I just wanted to say that the other day, I, for the first time, I'm 48, and I had not seen The Burbs. And to me, that film still test is a classic well
4: what a gap in your film what a gap in your film knowledge how could you have reached that age and not seen that movie
3: i, I, I sincerely apologize <laughs> it, is, it is a classic so many great actors obviously dick miller and your ensemble but i'm just wondering for you what is it about that film from your personal vantage point that still resonates with filmgoers and it, and it doesn't feel dated at all and and actually, I I really love the uh, the Mr. Rogers. Reference. There's so many things that, that I love about your film. So what, what you well, think?
4: it's it's that's an odd uh, doc because you know that 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 came to me as uh, the the producers thought it was a parody of Rear Window, and you know I saw those elements in it, but that's not really the way i approached it at all and uh i think one of the reasons it hasn't dated is because it never leaves the neighborhood and so you don't really get any sense of the world outside and uh and and also because the picture was shot during a writer's strike we couldn't make any changes to the script so we shot it in sequence and the actors were allowed to ad lib and sometimes they came up with things about their character that were were never even really intended in the story um, and, and so, it, it, to me, it's, a, it's an ensemble piece, and it's a, a, it's a movie that, over the years, it, it has astonished me as being probably the second most popular movie I ever made after Gremlins, um, just because of people who saw it and told their friends about it. And there's a, there's there's a website devoted to it. There's a trivia wow. book. I mean, it's it's just it's just sort of taken on this life of its own, which has really kind of astonished all of us.
3: You, you know, uh, I, I'm just wondering for you is. You know uh, what continues to inspire you as a filmmaker and a producer and, a, and as a storyteller? Because you know, obviously, I listen to your podcast, and, and it's all about movies that influence you, and and having that dialogue with filmmakers. But it seems that the fire will continue to burn for you, and it never it never wavers. Well, you know, I'm
4: a I'm a, I'm a movie kid. I I, I grew up uh, my when I was born, we didn't you know uh, didn't have a television until I was like seven or eight years old. And um, I listen to the radio, so I'm 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 sort of go go back to that era where people were you know listening to stories and making things up in their head. But then uh, the Saturday matinee became my my church basically, and I went. I was the only kid in town who always went to every Saturday matinee, uh, and often they ran old movies that you couldn't see anywhere else. And then I've watched this entire. Explosion of media uh, that's gone on about you know where where movies used to be something that you, if, if you didn't see it the night that it was shown then you had to wait five years for it to get shown again on TV and now we at a, the a push of a button we can see movies that some of which haven't been seen in seventy years so it's it's a wonderful time to discover movies. But I think if you don't have the background, if, if it wasn't part of your life every day, which it was to my generation, uh, it may be a little more difficult to, to to become as enamored of the idea of watching movies. as a, Because there's so many other things to do now. You know, when I was a kid, there, were, there was TV, radio, records, and sports. And that was it. And and, uh, and And so there weren't a lot of other things to take your eyes away from the screen and now there are screens everywhere and and people are spending all their time staring at them. When you go home it used to be if somebody walked down the street and they were talking to themselves, you thought they were crazy. Now, everybody's talking to themselves because they're on a phone. They yeah. got it in their ear, or whatever. So it's 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 a funny way of getting into the future because it, 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 we always thought the future was going to look like the Jetsons, but in fact, the future basically looks kind of like the past, except all the details are different. Yeah. Um, you know, I have a couple
3: more questions. One of my one of the listeners to my podcast, Eric Holmes, he's he's continu- he continuously tells me how, how amazing your films are. I should see more of your work. You know, I've, and uh, I've seen probably half of your work, and I, I'm really excited to see more of your stuff. I love matinee. He he wanted me to ask you spe- specifically this question. What did you think of the ending of Inglorious Bastards and its similarities to Gremlins?
4: Its similarities to Gremlins. I thought you were going to say similarities to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, <laughs> it does have similarities to. Um, to I I don't quite see the similarity except that it involves a movie theater.
3: Yeah, the movie theater, the party. There, there's there's similar whole thing about it. Yeah, you are saying that there's a little bit of a similarity towards the ending, and and a lot of people on Twitter say that that the ending of Inglourious uh, reminds them of the ending of Gremlins. So.
4: Well, I can see that, but I don't, I don't, I know Quentin. I don't think he took a lot of inspiration from Gremlins uh, to do that. I mean, he's he's a very specific filmmaker in his in his plans and thoughts, and I think that was just the the, the idea of this alternate history thing, which he's kind of getting into now. Yeah. Um, I, he's used it brilliantly twice. Now, whether he's ever going to use it again, I don't know. But uh, it's uh, I, I, I'm I'm very flattered to have been have my movie even associated with uh, glorious bastards, which I think is one of his best movies.
3: Uh, Joe, what, a couple more questions. What are you working on right now, other than Cap Coldbrook? Are you, are you working on another film or, or producing some more? Film? Oh, I'm
4: consulting. Uh, I'm consulting on the new Warner Brothers animation uh, Gremlins animated TV series, which is for HBO Plus, and, and there's a whole, a whole bunch of. Grandma's fans out there in Burbank who are, uh, you know, doing this ten-episode animated series, uh, which is focuses on the Key Luke character when he was a little boy in Shanghai in the oh. 1920s, and it's uh, and it is it's really what they're doing is very clever, and and what's interesting to me, having made those two movies with you know live actors and real puppets, the stuff that they're doing in this animated show, you could it would cost a zillion dollars to do as a as an actual live-action movie. But with animation, obviously, you know, you can you can anything you can think of, you could put up on the on the screen. So I'm, I'm I have a great, a high hopes for it. I think it's going to be really good.
3: So my final question to you is: I'm not going to to you uh, to ask you about uh, naming one of your favorite movies because you are a huge cinephile. But I want to specifically hone in on on the Graduate Pack because i I saw that you were um, you posted on your Facebook page about uh, the bravados. But I'm just wondering, my personal favorite. Gregory Peck film is is Mirage. I think that's really underrated. But can you, for our listeners, pick one one Gregory Peck film that you feel is underrated and that people should, should check out? Well, I
4: certainly I certainly agree about Mirage, which I think is a, a movie that more people should see. It's it's the Hitchcock movie that Hitchcock never made, yeah. um, and uh, and it's got except for except for an unfortunate last two minutes, which kind of. Messes it up. It's really an intriguing movie all the way through and very clever. And um, and I I I must have seen it five or six times when it was new. But as far as Peck goes, I mean, you know, he, he was often considered kind of a wooden actor. But you know, in a movie like The Big Country. I mean, he's so perfectly cast. The thing about actors is that you have to cast them to their strengths. You can't just, you know, have everybody play King Lear. I mean, you've got to to say, okay, who, 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 like Lawrence Harvey is like brilliantly cast in The Manchurian Candidate. But in a lot of other movies, he comes off as kind of stiff. I guess when I was a kid, one of my favorite Gregory Peck performances was in Moby Dick, uh, which, of course, for which he took a lot of criticism. Because he was, they said he too. He's too young to play Ahab, and and why isn't John Huston playing Ahab? Well, John Huston wasn't a movie star, so he couldn't play Ahab. But that movie was a, a very compelling experience for me. I saw it on a on a, a kid's birthday. His family rented the theater, and the, and they we they took the whole birthday crowd to see Moby Dick. Because it was a literary classic, but a whole bunch of little girls got really scared and started crying, and it didn't turn out to be the best outing that they could have imagined. But uh, but it really made an impression on me, and and it's, it, he's I think he's he he's already gotten a lot of brickbats for what I think is you know a really good performance. And then of course there's *To Kill a Mockingbird*, which you know you can't yes. think of Gregory Peck without that performance, and that was iconic.
3: So thank you so much for your time, and I really appreciate
4: it. Well, I appreciate it. Don't forget to tell everybody this thing is available on uh, on, uh, on day and date with theatrical and um, iTunes or whatever, wherever you get your movies. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Joe. Okay, thanks.